House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Uh, so joining us today is a uh, crime mystery fiction writer and podcaster, um, and he's got a new book uh, just coming out. It's called A Body on the Hill. It's part of the Mitch O'Reilly Mysteries, and it's book two. So Brad Shreve, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Well, so Brad, um, wow, how did your how did so how did your life start? No. <laughs> no. So, how did you get into uh, this um, fiction writing? Like, have you always been a writer, or been into writing and fictions and mystery, or um, where, where did that start for you? Well, I think, like most any writer, I can say I've always wanted to be a writer. Uh, my, as a kid, I read Encyclopedia Brown, and was always angry I could never solve the crime, and. But that where is where my love of mystery began. But it wasn't until I was older and read My Side of the Mountain by well, Gene Craighead George, I believe. And I just fell in love with that book, and I said, I think one day I'm going to be a writer. Uh, if, if if somebody can make me want to go to the mountain and live inside of a tree, they've done they've done a pretty good job of writing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, so so when you were young, so that was just a few years ago. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you, the real catalyst was Doonesbury, the comic strip. Oh. Uh, I was kind of a political junkie at an early age. I was only seven when that comic strip came out, and I absolutely loved it. And I wanted to be a cartoonist. And so through my teens and actually probably into my early 20s, I started creating cartoons. I was trying to create one to, to submit, and it was satirical, and I took a lot of sketching classes. I've been, I became pretty good at drawing, but I found that I enjoyed the writing better than the drawing part, and that started t- taking over. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was writing satire, which I was not very good at, but at least I was writing. And, and then I got in the corporate world, and I lost my way for a while. Oh, yeah. That happens to a lot of people. Um, now, um, so this is um, uh, book two of your Mitch O'Reilly mystery. So explain that. So um, who is Mitch O'Reilly, and and uh, what's kind of the format of this? In this book, Mitch O'Reilly is 31 years old. He has a twin sister named Josie, and he used to be kind of a fun-loving party guy in, in college uh, with his sister and. And uh, he went a little too far, and his grades dropped, so he joined the military and wound up in Afghanistan and served two tours in Afghanistan, and it didn't come back in a good way. He had PTSD, PT, excuse me, PTSD. He wound up living on his sister's couch for a while until she got him a job with a investigative agency. And he did that for a number of years till he got his license and didn't really enjoy it. So he left that to open up his own business, and which is a spy supply store that he still owns. And as I say in the book, he he doesn't make enough off the store to stop being a PI, and he doesn't make enough off being a PI to close the store. So he's kind of a reluctant detective. Kind of sounds uh, he, like a writer. <laughs> Very true. Uh, he's he's snarky. Uh, he uh, has kind of a negative view on life, but he really roots for the underdog. Uh, you'll he'll buy a bag of socks and take it to the homeless and hand them out. And there's a homeless guy who's a war veteran who he allows to sleep in the doorway of a store. Uh, so every night after he closes, so he has a heart. And he wants to get back to where he used to be, but that's a struggle. Hmm. So that's pretty complex. As in, um, see, this is, I'm I'm a true crime writer, so this is all fascinating to me. And so I jump in and say, well, how do you develop this character? This this character you've got uh, 
you know, he's been to war, he's been to war twice. He's got uh, BDSM. He's got, <laughs> you know, he's he's really stressed out. And you've got him, uh, you've got all this detail. Do you take this from people you know? Do you take it from, or do you just imagine this whole thing? Is this all in your mind? Well, coming up with characters can be so different depending on the character. Uh, there are. Uh, some characters that may be a combination of a good friend of mine and a woman I happened to talk to in Starbucks. Uh, there was a day I was in the city bus, and there was the bus driver. We were in a quiet neighborhood, yet she, she stopped at every single bus stop, <laughs> opened the door, closed the door, and would go to the next bus stop and do the same thing. And after a while, she said, where are all the people? Now, I don't know if I'll ever use her in a book, but you better believe I have her written down. Uh, now, Mitch is a bit different. I didn't realize it until I was done. Mitch is me in many ways. Uh, I, uh, I have bipolar disorder, and so I deal with anxiety and depression the same way uh, people with PTSD do, although I'm not going to say they're the same thing. And he, I tend to be snarky like he is but he gets to say it uh i don't necessarily get to speak that's always on my mind hey so this was kind of a you were kind of starting to talk about this when you started these books brad did you start with him then did you start with mitch what like where did you where did you start i did start with mitch uh i started from the start he was the hero that's who was gonna absolutely okay uh my very first book was was Mitch. I, I my first book, A Body in a Bathhouse. I actually came up with the title first. Wait, and the title came before everything. That book, yes. Even before Mitch, it. even before you had the character. Yes. Oh wow! Okay. The the title hit me, and I said, "Oh, I love this title. I've got to write a book about this." And oh, that's wow. when I developed Mitch. Huh. There's always bodies in the bathhouse. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't know, of course. I've only heard of these. <laughs> well, yeah. When you when you get a little bit older, you might experience something like that. But you're still, you're still, you're still a chicken, right? So. <laughs> uh, it, the idea for that one just drew me because there are a lot of bodies in a bathhouse, but. <laughs> But they're dying off, and so there weren't that many. And so I actually had a pretty small group of characters in the in that book. It it could have almost it's hard to imagine a bathhouse. It could have almost been written as a cozy, because there was such a small group of people there at, the, at that particular time. Uh, but I didn't. I expanded the world quite a bit more than that. And uh, I do. There, there's not a whole lot of relationship in sex, but there's a little of that in two, which you don't find in a cozy. Hmm. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Uh, so, um, but okay, now explain that to me. Actually, explain that to a lot of listeners because uh, we've crossed over into fiction just in the last month or two. So, uh, what do you mean by cozy? Cozy, if you tend to think of Miss Marple from Agatha Christie, mm-hmm. uh, there's a murder. Usually, it's in a small environment or a small group of people. There may be a romance, not usually, but there may be a romance, but there is no sex, and there is no blood and gore. So, and that tends to be a cozy, and there's, it's always an amateur sleuth, that, which is another reason why Mitch couldn't be in a cozy. It's always an amateur sleuth in a cozy. Hmm. So, so you don't really include a lot of uh, sex in, in these books? I did a little bit in the first one. I, in the second one, I was going to pull, quite a bit more and I took it out because I I did didn't feel like it was necessary. Um obviously the first one has a little bit it's in a bathhouse. Right. But the <laughs> but, but the the second book when I put the sex in I really looked at it and I said, Does this add to the story in any way? And I said, Not really and I took it out. So I have more of a, a fade to black, uh which which means, you know, they kiss and shut the door and you know what happens when they wake up in the morning. So, so it's more important. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm taking this that it's more important for you to write a book, and it's about the story. And if, if, if sex is part of the story, you'll put it in. But it, you're not going to put it in just for 
you know, um, just for the extra tent, you know, making people excited because you can have sex. Exactly. I, I mean, Mitch used to play around quite a bit, and he bumps into frequently guys that he used to meet online, and, and they're like, hey, Mitch, let's hook up. And so it, it's obvious that there has been a lot of sex involved, but it, it doesn't need to be on the page. Uh, it, I'm sure there will be times where I feel like it needs to be, but at this point in the latest novel, uh, A Body on the Hill, I didn't see it as necessary. In that, in this next one, Brad, are you? You said you mentioned that there's also relationship elements. Is that something that you explore more in the second book? Um, yes. In, Mitch meets in in the first book. Mitch meets a guy. It's it's more of a tease than an actual relationship. Uh-huh. Uh, the the guy he meets Trent uh, once more. Uh, but with Mitch, with his PTSD and the problems he's dealing with and his crazy life, just isn't ready for that yet. This second book explores that a little more. But uh, I'm not going to say whether they get together or not. Are, are you, does that worry you? Like when we had we had Robert Ennis on, and um, he was saying that on some of his books he was doing it the same way. And um, he would get complaints. People would write, you know, reviews as they do, and um, he would um, he would say that they would complain that they'd go, "Well, it's a great story, but where's the cock?" <laughs> well, you know, that's just what he said, right? I mean, that's, just, <laughs> that's what he you know. And he's he's right in many ways. I haven't particularly gotten reviews like that yet. Uh, I have looked through Goodreads and Amazon and, and looked at some good writers that I enjoy that are uh, gay writers. And to many, there's an assumption if it's if it's gay, it's, there's going to be male-male sex. And I'll look at their good reviews, and even their good reviews begin with, well, there wasn't any sex, but... And then they tell about the story. Like, obviously, there should have been sex. This is a gay novel. Why wasn't there? Uh, and... That disappoints me, um, in a lot of ways. So, um, Brad, with, with this, like with, I guess in this genre, there's a there's kind of a divide between, or, or a spectrum, I guess, where some books do have a lot more on the romantic side, some have a lot more on the mystery, and it sounds like, well, from from what I know from your first book, that these are definitely in the mystery side. Um, do you start with how do you come up with the mystery plot? Like you said, you started with the title. How did you build a crime out of that? Uh, the first book, the crime was, if it's going to be in a small environment, how was this going to happen? Okay. And, yeah. uh, and it, it, was, it was with a knife, because how else would you kill somebody in a bathhouse other than strangulation, which is, right. uh, I guess he could do. Um, and the, the characters just developed in, uh, I like diversity. Mm-hmm. So and in a bathhouse, it gave me that. Because okay. I, I could have people, I have people that live in million-dollar homes in the Hollywood Hills, and I have people that live in um, run-down apartments in MacArthur Park. And they were all part of the bathhouse in this scene. Now, in A Body on the Hill, it's very similar. Hmm. Now, my my idea for the crime for that was I like to bike, walk the trails up near the Hollywood sign. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, how can I work this into a book and back in, 19, in 1912, back in <laughs> 2012, a severed head was found near the Hollywood sign, oh. as well as some body parts. Oh. Uh, a man killed his, I don't know if they were partners or boyfriends, but a man killed his boyfriend. And he's in prison now and still doesn't to this day say why he murdered oh, wow. the other guy. But I thought, this is fantastic. So that's where I got the idea for A Body on the Hill. Wow, now, that's cool. Yeah. Now, unfortunately for me, since 2012, the security, I, I hiked up there to the top to look at the security since the last time I'd been there, and it's tremendously different. There's cameras and wires, and there's a full-time police officer up there. There are helicopters. So the, the, it's much more secure area, not, not just because of that body incident, because of vandalism and everything else that they had. And so I had to do the body 
is found on the hill, but it's a little further down the hill under the Hollywood sign. It's not right at the Hollywood sign where I originally wanted it to be, because that just wouldn't have been possible. Sounds like you're planning this. <laughs> <laughs> Don't piss me off. Yeah. <laughs> and that brings up the next question, because uh, we've had a few authors on now that's at that rate crime fiction that say that, um, like... Um, you know, that they only put people that they don't like in the book. Do you take people that you've met that you think, uh, what an awful person, or you have a big fight with, or that are just really rude on the street somewhere or something, do you take that person and create a character uh, based on them? Uh, I do. I haven't created a character that I murdered because I don't like this person in real life, which you hear joked about a lot. The characters, as I said earlier, they're made up of different people, and yes, a lot of my characters do have personalities of people I know. Some of them are just personalities out of the blue. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, I, I don't always know where they come from. Oh. So, um, how, oh, that's interesting. So how far do you want to go with Mitchell Riley? Uh, like, are you going to uh, do an extensive series, or are you going to kill them off eventually or kind of how what what kind of plans do you have for that i don't think i'll kill mitch off i think eventually i hope to give him a happy ending i i don't ever guarantee that uh, but i can't see me not giving him a happy ending in my head i see it as probably a five book series because that's i i can picture the next three books after these two but who knows if if continue to love him and readers continue to love him I could go 20 books hmm. well and if you're giving happy endings it probably will go 20 books <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I can't guarantee there will be a happy ending in every book but eventually he'll have his happy ending <laughs> so um, now each book is on to itself like you don't need to like I could pick up this new book uh, I don't have to have read the first, first book in order to get into the story right that's correct. Actually, it's funny. In my newsletter I, I sent out, I promised my readers that I would never write a cliffhanger, that every book will be a standalone. Now, of course, there's references to things that happened in, in the previous book, but not enough to give away the story. It, it, they are standalone. You can take a body on the hill and read it by itself without reading the bathhouse book. Hmm. So uh, what's your feeling on... Um gay written mysteries and and that as in do you do you feel like it's easy to get it published or do you think that there's an, still a struggle um, in the uh, mainstream publishing world in the mainstream publishing world I think it's hard to get published if you don't have the sex uh, there are several publishers that really promote uh, having more what's called male-male relationship, if nothing else, a romance, uh, and sex always helps. Uh, there are some that don't, but tra traditional publishing is just hard to get into. I chose from, after speaking to a good number of people, I chose to, to self-publish with, with no qualms about it. After speaking to enough writers uh, that both traditionally publish, those that self-publish and those that, that have done both. Hmm. Who do you think most of your readers are? Most of my readers, I think, are a good mix of male and female. Um, males mostly gay. Females a real mix. Well, females mostly straight, straight women. Yeah, I hear that a lot. What, so what do you think it is about... Um, the, you know the um, how do you say the desire for for a lot of straight women to to read about male romance. Well, I I think women tend to be the number one readers anyway. Uh, they're the number of women that read far outweighs the number of men, and I think they are more open minded. I, you know, this is my guess. I think they just like a good story, uh, and they are more open-minded to what they read. Why they like male-male romance 
is a good question, and I don't know if it's just because it's something they don't know and want to explore more into it, or if they're titillated by it in some way. I don't know that answer. I'm surprised by it because most male-male romance novels are read by straight women. Yeah, I've heard that. You know, uh, my personal theory on something like that is probably, um, I, I think that uh, straight females would like more romance from their men, and and a lot of men don't. That a lot of men are, you know, wham bam and and not not really into the to the romance or speak saying a lot of things. Like they don't talk a lot. Um, perhaps male male romance. There's more. Uh, intimacy there's more talking well and if i could jump i mean but i i, I do think you know people people come to the genre for a lot of reasons but another i i would agree with that alan maybe another reason is that in uh a same-sex relationship uh, or sexual encounter whatever you know the, the book might be dealing with like there's more that has to be negotiated and the gender roles aren't as clearly defined where i've i've spoken to a number of women who have told me they get frustrated by the alpha male and the submissive female in a lot of heterosexual romance. And, you know, that's, you can't do it the same way, you know, in a, when you have two guys. So, I mean, there's more need for the flexibility or nuance or something like that. So, I mean, I know there's a lot of reasons, but that's another one that I've heard mentioned. Well, you, you make a good point, Greg, but there's also a lot of women that really enjoy Gay novels where there's an alpha male and a, and what is it? Beta, yeah, like a femme beta. guy or a yeah, a femme guy. guy or, and and, and they, yeah. I'm totally drawing a blank here. But where there's an alpha male, they really enjoy that. It's a, well, it's, it's a different segment, I think. I, but, yeah, that's why I said I think there's a lot of reasons. Yeah, but you're right. There are people that want those same dynamics. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, they want the big. The big bear taking down the twink. <laughs> oh man! Well, and to be fair, I think—I I mean, I think there are plenty of guys that like that too. I don't think it's just women that like. You know, I mean, like, there's an audience for all of this stuff. Oh, absolutely. There, there's quite a few men that that enjoy male romance, and I, I can't deny that. I'm not a big romance fan or erotica fan. My my husband loves erotic. No, I shouldn't say loves erotica, but he enjoys it. I uh, I get a little bored by just romance, uh, just because uh, I don't always want to be guaranteed a happy ending. I like happy endings, but I don't want to necessarily be guaranteed one. Brad, what does that look like in your like? What would a what would an unhappy ending look like in one of your books? Would Would Mitch not close a murder? Would uh, someone get away like scot free from a crime? No, I wouldn't do that. Mystery writers would be furious if a crime isn't solved. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I should, when I say I, I can't guarantee a happy ending, that's not the part I mean. The crime itself definitely has to be solved. But in the personal life of the individual, that I don't think always has to be an happy ending. I don't think the person needs to be killed off, but they, their life ne- isn't necessarily better when, the, when you reach the end. Hmm. Wow. Uh, so now, uh, so when you when you write these books, um, what is it that you want people to get out of the book at the end of the book? So I, I go pick up the book and I read it. What is it you hope I walk away with? Well, A Body in a Bathhouse, what I've been told frequently is it's a really good beach summer read, and that thrills me. Because what I want to be able to do is just entertain people. I'm not out to send a message. I may read a, write a book someday where I feel like there's an important message that I need to get across. But right now, I just want to entertain. I want people to be taken away for a few hours and enjoy a good book. Hmm. Now, um, another thing about you is you um, you run, or you I guess you're the uh, operator and owner of the Gay Mystery Podcast. Um, so tell us, how did that start for you, and, and what is it? Well, it started because I didn't know about the gay mystery genre. Uh, when I was younger, before I came out and even after I came out, there used to be these little nooks in, like, Barnes & Noble that said 
gay and lesbian, and the tiny little section, and you kind of snuck over there and would look. And they were always either literary novels or they were nonfiction. And I didn't know that genres existed, such as romance or, or mystery. And about ten years ago, I read my probably my first gay mystery novel, which was by Mark McNeese, who I believe was a guest on your show. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it was Murder at Pride Lodge, and I read it, and I'm like, oh, my God, I've never seen anything like this. And it, it didn't clue me in right away that there were more, I, because as I explored more, I kept running into romance, or romance with a little bit of mystery into it. But once I stumbled on other writers, such as Marshall Thornton and Michael Nava, I realized that it's a much larger genre. So I said, if if I don't know about gay mysteries, other people must not know either. And I wanted to start the podcast to get the word out there to share that information. In addition, a lot of people, like Greg Ash, has a huge fan base. But they may not know about other writers. And there may be, Michael Nava may have his fan base. I, I wanted these people to listen to the show and learn, wow, there's all these writers. There's enough authors, there's enough readers to share. So mystery readers are avid readers. They may read, you know, a book a day or a book a week. So I want to just spread the word and get the word out there that, that gay mystery genre exists. Uh, I would voted on a different podcast as the best novel of the year last year and the when it was announced there they they did the best tv show the best movie and best novel and my book was listed as best novel and they said a gay mystery who knew such a thing existed and i'm like yes that's exactly what i'm trying to get across well, and Brad, another thing I think your podcast has done that's really interesting is with your different guests, you've really explored a lot of the history of the genre, right? Don't you think that's come out in a lot of your conversations? Definitely has. The The genre started, well, it started in the Pulp Fictions back, um, you know, in the 60s and probably earlier, where it was, let's say, a mystery. It was really sex hidden as a mystery so that, that people could get away with selling it. And then... Um, Joseph Hansen in the early 70s was really, he's kind of considered the start of the gay mystery novels. And slowly we started seeing a lot more authors um, picking up on that. And it really started growing. This is all I learned from authors on the podcast. It really started growing in, until the AIDS crisis. And then it seemed to be a backlash where traditional publishers were less likely to publish gay novels, and that includes gay mysteries for, for whatever reason. And fortunately, we're seeing it come forward again, and we're seeing a lot more. With, with the um, you know, current conditions with coronavirus and uh, now the riots in, in, in the U.S., um, does that affect your writing? Does that affect the way you um, um, do things now? It does and it doesn't. I'm home all day anyway, and my husband has a job where he works in an office all by himself. So in that sense, our life hasn't changed. Uh, you know, we do wear a mask when we go to the supermarket and that sort of thing, but our lives haven't changed that much. But it is all going on, and I can feel that, and I know that. And uh, being a depressive person anyway, that weighs heavy on me. So it does affect my writing. It can slow it down even. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a I'm a slow writer. This this book uh, took me well. I expected it to come out six months after the Bathhouse book, and it actually took me six months longer than that. Greg puts out a book every day, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, obviously I'm exaggerating, but he's very prolific, and I would love to. <laughs> I wish level. I wish I could do a book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, most most uh, people go into the bathroom on their cell phone, but he goes in and writes a book, right? <laughs> Now, if Greg if Greg did a book a day, it wouldn't be good quality, and he writes good quality novels. So I know it's not that often, but you're definitely prolific, and I hope to reach that level or at least close to it. Well, I, this is one of the things that I, I mean. It is. I think it was it your most recent one with Josh Lanyon. 
Yes. Her most recent interview, or was there another one? Uh, no, Josh was the most recent one. Well, I when I was listening to that, I was just I couldn't believe when she said she thinks people, and I, this is not a criticism. I, it was just shocked about putting out a book a month, and and I feel like I am pretty consistent in my pace, but I don't even come close to a book a month. I mean, that's that's a lot of product. <laughs> I know I know a writer who will reign nameless who okay. puts out who puts out a book a month, uh-huh. and sometimes two, and his goal is three, and you would. He has a strong following uh-huh. because he, because people like his characters uh-huh. and they like his stories. Now, is it the best written novels? Some would say yes, some would say no. They're they're good. Okay. Uh, yeah. I I don't. I'll never reach that. But I think you're. I and maybe it was you that maybe it was in that conversation. I think you said something like you really do. You really do believe that quality is more important than quantity, and I would agree with that as well. It's really about making the best piece you can make before you release it, whatever that timeline looks like. Yeah, it was actually Josh that said that, but I oh, agree. Okay. I agree one hundred percent. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, yeah, if it, it takes if it, too. Yeah. If it takes me a full year to write a good quality book, then that will be my my speed. I'd like to speed it up, but I'm not going to do it at the at at the expense of the quality of the novel. And Al, you have a lot of projects going on at the same time, right? <laughs> I always have six or seven every yeah. year. What, yeah. So, I mean, what's the process like there? Well, I have to have that because um, when you're doing uh, true crime or nonfiction, you are getting a lot of facts together. So um, you have to put your word out. So when you're doing a, a story, you have to contact family members. You have to contact you know, in my case, prisons and cops and doctors and uh, all this stuff. And the the problem is you don't get word back right away. So you open a file and you start putting things in and setting up appointments and going and doing things as you can. And uh, so if I just did one book, there's a lot of times I would be uh, have nothing to do for a month or two or sometimes longer. So you start working on another. And so I just... Um, I'm all, I've always got a lot going at the same time because it takes a while to gather the information. Uh, see, and that's why it's different because I don't just I, I can't just uh, make up stuff about a character or create them um, or decide what they should or shouldn't do or be. Um, so it's it's a different sort of type of writing. Uh, I agree, but I also understand where you're coming from, Al, because. I have another series that's in my head. It, it will take place in the 1920s. And the way that came to me is, in my Mitch stories, I do a lot of research on L.A. And, and I give a background of all the different neighborhoods. It's, it's a very diverse city. And so I, I give some background on MacArthur Park and how it developed as, as an exclusive upscale neighborhood to very downtrodden neighborhood that is today and in other cities how they developed and, and or neighborhoods and how they developed uh, Koreatown and so I do, did a lot of research and I found I loved that research and I found myself going deeper and deeper into it and so now while I'm writing these Mitch novels I'm still doing research for this other series that I'll eventually start on the 1920s uh, and finding about gay life in the 1920s in L.A. is very difficult because it was not the same as, like, Chicago or New York. Right. And, and that's a be- very important in, in, in any type of book. I think that might be the difference. Uh, for, for me in the true crime, I do the same. So uh, you have to set up the atmosphere of what was going on and what it was like to live in that place in time uh, to help put the story in context and that's probably the same for you um, and I think that might be you know because people in true crime that like Nigel Cawthorn and stuff they write a book a month <laughs> and <laughs> and I think that's what's different about his book as compared to mine because you don't get any of that in his book you're getting what happened and how it happened and uh, that's it so, so there's no you know, there's no context around that, so you don't really get the feeling of what was going on in the city and what the police were like and what, how they treated a crime and, and all that. So that's all missing. Well, do you interview a lot of 
police officers and get involved in in that part of the stories when you're when you're researching for your true crime novels? Oh yeah, I love cops. Story? Okay. <laughs> See, and there's a reason why I have a PI, and that's because I police procedurals. Though I may enjoy them, I don't want to write them because there's so much research involved in that that I'm not necessarily as interested in the research of a community. I like that my guy can sneak into a window and walk, you know, go around the house and, and observe what's going on there. A cop can't do that. Right, right. Oh, there you go. So don't don't cross the sky, Greg. <laughs> yeah, he'll he'll climb in your window, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, be careful. That'd be yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I see trouble happening here. No, it's it's a, it's a totally interesting um, interesting world. But um, but you know you never know, Brad. You could uh, you could get further and faster than you ever thought you would. Um, and I say that because I came from that, and uh, and I never thought I would be a writer, and here I am. And um, you know, I'm an autistic kid that was told you know a lot of things <laughs> from the 60s so i i had no uh it was never in my mind to be a writer well i'm currently outlining the third mitch novel and i can't imagine that it will go as long as it took the second book i think it'll be much faster it won't be a few months but it won't be over over a year like the last one was and this is uh a body on the app? A body in the... <laughs> where's the body? On the app? <laughs> well, you got to get the app in there in modern day, and it's got to be a body. Body on the hill, body in the bathhouse, body in the, in the bar, body in the bed, body in... I'll be happy to give you the title. Yeah, let's hear it. It's a body, a bear, and a blade. A body, a bear, and a blade? Ooh. Correct. Oh, cool. And go. we're not we're not talking about the type of bears you find in the woods. Well, <laughs> well maybe at Griffith Park, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Brad, why? What makes you feel like it won't? It'll take less time to write this. What's what do you feel is different about the process here? The way I'm outlining and as quickly as it's going, the way the, the characters are developing so quickly for me, and I'm having a little hard time with the clues. Mm -hmm. Because that's very important for me to have that before I ever begin the book, mm -hmm. even though even though they they may change completely as as I go forward, it that whole process is coming to me so quickly. In so many scenes are in my head that I'm taking notes on. That's why I think it's going to be quicker than the last two novels. Cool. What do you think is more important, or, or well, or or what side do you tend do you think you fall on more? You fall on the uh, person that writes uh, concerned about the grom grammar, <laughs> the grammar, um, spelling technique. Or are you more a story and and how it makes you feel? I hate math and graphing sentences and learning punctuation and grammar in school. To me, was just like math. So I tell people I'm a great storyteller. And I'm grateful for proofreaders and my editor. So they're both important, but my skill is more in the story side. So you're and, you're, you're like Madonna. <laughs> 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 I I don't know what that means. Well, more 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 in the the the, the 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 end of the story. It's more about the feeling. It's more about getting a story across to someone. Where they understand it, they feel it, they 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 get it, and it's they're not concerned about being the best technique writer or grammar or speller. Well, as I said, the grammar and the spelling and those things are important to me. I don't want to put a book out that that has a lot of those errors, and that is I do focus on those as much as I can. But that is where I do rely on editors and beta readers and proofreaders. Uh, to help me to reach that level, but as far as me uh, when I'm writing, I like writing good scenes and I love developing interesting characters and sometimes quirky characters. Hmm, it's interesting. So, uh, are you going to try your hand at other types of writing? Right now, I have. I don't really have a desire to do anything other than mystery. It tends to be all I read, which 
really is kind of wrong. I, I really should branch out and get more diversity. But when I sit down to read a book, mystery is all I want to read, and, and I should really make it more of a job and, and pick up a, a, a literary novel or pick up a romance and, and get more into into that. I mean, Weathering Heights is one of my favorite novels, so, so I do enjoy non-mystery novels. But for the most part, it's what I read, and I can't imagine writing anything different at this point in my life. So what's, what's your favorite word? <laughs> what? Lipton's dead now, so remember he used to be there <laughs> inside the actors. No, what, what, is it, what does an average day look like for you? So what do you do? Um, um, what influences you, and how do you know when you're ready to write? Like for me, I have to be in a particular place or, or space. Um, I can't just write on a whim. Um, is that the same for you, or are you more of a, you can write anywhere, anytime? I can't write anywhere, anytime, but it's what I try to do. I, I spend Mondays working on my podcast, and then Tuesday through Friday, my husband leaves for work around 9. So my goal is from like 10 to 5 to sit my butt down and write. That is my goal. Now, it's really hard at 10 a.m. to sit down and say, okay, I'm magically creative all of a sudden. So I'm not always successful at it, but that is what I try to do. I'm, I do outline, and I do try to have a regimen number of words throughout a day, which can be different each day. But, and if, but for the most part, that's what I try to do. The negative in that is if I have an appointment in the middle of a day, it totally throws my whole uh, regime off because that's the way my brain works. It's almost an all-or-nothing thing. I can still do a little bit in the afternoon and, and maybe in the morning, but psychologically, it's, it's tough for me. Hmm, that's interesting. And so, is there inspirations for you when you write? Inspirations. Like if you if you can't, um, let's say you're in a in a in a in a mood where it doesn't seem to work for you or something. What what helps you or inspires you to write? Is it like music? Is it movies? Or is it just uh, going for a walk? Um, what what kind of works for you? Well, sometimes it's going to a different location. I tend to work from home, but sometimes I will go to a coffee house, and the environment and having people around me will help to get that creative side going with me. I don't listen to music other than maybe new-agey music, which I'm not really a huge fan of, but if there's a, a song playing that has any kind of lyrics, that's all I hear. So I can't write with music on it, and I'm amazed that some people can uh, I would be writing the lyrics down instead of writing the story. <laughs> uh, but going for a walk does help. Uh, sometimes I just will type out a sentence, and that's the best I can do. And then I'll just find a, I'll clean house, or I'll find something else to do. Uh, but as I said, that ten to ten to four or five is my goal. Doesn't always happen. Depends how much coffee you get. Well, that's that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm try I used to be a pot a day or two pots a day, and now I'm trying to cut it out. So, uh, oh yeah. Well, uh, so now your podcast is it once a week? Is it uh, what's what's the schedule for that? It is once a week. It's uh, it drops every Thursday morning, and it's a different guest every week. And we just talk about just like this show their their writing style. We talk about their life and and shoot the breeze. Although, I'm going to jump in here, Al, and, and point out that Brad likes to do questions authors hate at the end of each episode of his podcast. So I'm trying to think of a question a question Brad would hate for the end of this interview. <laughs> well, I did change that, Greg. I changed it to awkward questions authors. Oh, yeah. oh okay. Now, I, I mean, it used to be so called better. Yeah, it used to be questions authors hate, and I, and I realized there, there were only so many questions that we really hate, but there are a lot of awkward questions that we get. So yeah. that is, I did change the name of that. Okay. But I, but I spin a wheel, you know, like, and they listen to the they listen to the blank uh, noise until I put the wheel in later, and then I ask them a question that is awkward for a writer to answer. 
Yeah, uh, top or bottom? Like. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, that I guess that could be important depending on what they're riding. But generally, no, I, I don't ask if they're a top or a bottom. <laughs> well, I, I don't know what. Uh, have it, so, have you done uh, any book signings or anything like that yet? No, I haven't. Uh, it it hasn't been in the cards for me as of yet. Uh, I don't see it as being as big of a deal as it used to be. I hear a lot of independent writers that say they, they just sit in the bookstore and maybe one or two people that they know come up. Uh, it's not like the old days where, if that ever existed, where you had a traditional publisher and they would fly you around and you'd do these big, heavily promoted book signings. I don't know if that ever existed, but that tends to be what we believe the, used to be. I don't think that's true anymore. Hmm. So the only I the only times I've done book signings is when I've done some kind of uh, I'll do a seminar on on writing or seminar on what it's like to tradition or to uh, self publish and I always have my books there and I'll I'll sign those but that's the only time I've ever done that. Wow, uh, you know, yeah, they're they're not all they're cracked up to be, but um, the last one I did in November there was a you know, I got about 200 books sold. My goodness, but you've been around a while. You've got, how many books do you have? 16. I, I haven't yeah, but, you know, Ash there is way, way, way more than I am. <laughs> <laughs> He's yeah, writing one right now, you know. He's, <laughs> <laughs> He's sending it in right now. It's just... <laughs> Greg, stop it and listen. <laughs> no, I just want to find a question that authors hate. I'm really trying to find well, them for the, 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 the question I got at uh, the book signing most often was, uh, well, not question, but they would, uh, there's always that person that comes up and says, well, I write, and how do I get my book published? Oh, that's a good one. Oh, and, that is. You know, and, and I always just go, wow. Um, and, and the wor- well, you know, I always tell them that um, the best thing to do is uh, to find a really good editor or proofreader to start. And um, and quite often you'll get a response like I, you know, I got one that this lady said that, uh, but I I wrote this. It all came from God, hmm. and I wouldn't want to change it. Hmm. So well, well there wow. you go. And I was like, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like. So, what do you say to that? So, I find that to be the most awkward because people come to you for some sort of writing advice, as in getting a book published or something. And and I don't know. I don't know. No, how. that's a good. How, yeah, Brad. What how, would you say? What would you say to or advice to new authors in general? Well, I'll tell you the. I want to give one more uh, question that gets asked than, than what I just said is. Yeah. Will you read my manuscript? Oh, yeah, same idea. Oh, that, yeah. that boy, that's a tough one. But what my best advice to to new writers would be: don't write to sell, just write. Mm-hmm. Write what write what you love to write. Write, just and keep writing, and of course keep reading, which you hear all the time, and, and it's very important to keep reading. You, uh, I interviewed Lev Raphael recently, and he said. Reading is writing to a writer, mm-hmm. and he's he's 100% correct in that. And I, uh, so my advice would be to read, but also write, 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 and develop your skill, focus on each scene. In the You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You actually uh, go to scenes uh, or places you you have written about uh, to see what they they feel like and what they look like and what they're you know pick up some sort of vibes that way. Yes, I I do. Um, it's interesting. I used to live near Silver Lake and spent a lot of time in Silver Lake area of Los Angeles, and I was writing um, a body in a bathhouse. The bathhouse actually is in Silver Lake. I was going to say, so which bathhouse did you go to? (laughs) 
Wow, that was question authors get. That was it, right there. None for this particular book. I, I have a good memory. But I wanted to write about Silverlake, and I thought it, it's been years since I've been over there. So I got on Google Maps, and I looked around, and I said, oh, my God, it's totally different from what I remember. So I had to go drive over there and, and spend a little time and walk around and, and got the different feel that Silver Lake has than what it used to have. And I'm glad I did that. Otherwise, I would have been totally off base for what it is today because I, I do write uh, current. Mm. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it makes a difference. Um, okay, so let's talk about um, do you have a website or do you have a place people can go to find uh, out more about you? Absolutely. All they need to do is go to bradshreve.com, and they'll find links there to purchase the books, as well as a little about little bit about me. Okay. And, and your podcast, does it have a website as well? GameMysteryPodcast.com. Wow, that's a tough one to remember. Yeah, I think they're both hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brad, this has been fascinating. I'm glad you uh, took the time to come on and talk about... Uh, what goes on in your life, your writing, your podcast, and everything else, and uh, I hope it uh, keeps going well for you. Well, I appreciate you having me on, and as a podcaster, now being a guest, I'm concerned when I listen later how many times I said, um. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not too many. And uh, Oh, good. Not too many. Actually, I, I didn't get, uh, I didn't notice a lot of that, or uh, the other one, you know, and you know, and you know, like that one's the one that I. Mine as well, and then I start the sentence. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you, thank you for having me on. It's been great. I've had a lot of fun. Yeah, and of course we'll put your book and your website up on ours, so that people can do one click and uh, pick up the book or check you out, and uh, we'll go from there. So again, thank you very much for being on the show. Our guest has been Brad Shreve, and we've been talking about uh, the Gay Mystery Podcast and his latest book, A Body on the Hill, which is a Mitch O'Reilly mystery, and it's book two. Mystery Radio Show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.